right, there are two things that stand out to me above everything else right now. Kristen Tatar is in a league above everyone else in the FPO division, regardless of the chorus, regardless of the conditions. And also, it's pretty wild to think that 17-year-old Gannon Burr is number one in the world right now in disc golf, above Ricky, above Calvin, above Paul, above Simon, above Eagle, number one in the world. Disc golf is crazy, crazy, crazy right now. So I'm so excited for today's show. Let's go ahead and let's get into it. Hey everybody, what is up? It's Antonio. Welcome back to episode eight. Actually, I should say, welcome to episode eight here on Teach Play Disc Golf with Gladiator Disc Golf Podcast. I am so excited for today's show, everybody. I have some awesome things planned. We're obviously going to talk about Kristen Tatar, Gannon Burr, the Blue Ridge Championship at the North Cove Disc Golf Course, but we're also going to talk about a very important disc golf skill that I think a lot of people can use, especially in their practice sessions. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We actually aren't going to have a disc review today. I got some new discs in, some discs that I'm going to keep working with and trying, but I'm not ready to talk and share my opinions about them yet. So that will hopefully happen next week. But we're going to then go over the Blue Ridge Championship, kind of talking about the field in general. And then we will preview this upcoming week's first major of the season, the Champions Cup at W.R. Jackson in Augusta, Georgia. Let's go ahead and let's dive right in. All right, so when we were, when I was filming last week, um, I checked the Elite Series and saw, oh, the next official event is the Jonesboro Open at the end of April. And I was like, okay, so there's nothing coming up. So I didn't even preview the Blue Ridge Championship last year, which is a silver series on the Disc Golf Pro Tour or last week, because I just didn't even think to check the silver series. Um, It should have occurred to me that there was a two to three weeks gap between Music City Open and Jonesboro, but I I just didn't. I was just scrolling and checking. It's like, oh, we have a couple weeks off, so they're probably going to be playing some A tiers and whatnot, not even thinking about silver series. So oopsie on my part (laughs) but uh, anyway we have the blue ridge championship i don't know that they've played this course before i don't know a lot of the history i didn't get to listen to um live coverage where they probably would have shared some of this they may have played here last year and i don't know if it was a silver series i didn't check in on that but i gotta say it was a really cool event um we're gonna get into some opinions when we uh, recap the entire thing, but I really just want to talk about Kristen Tatar right now. She is absolutely dominating FPO this season, uh, and she did it in ridiculous fashion. It was really funny going into round three. She was up, you know, six or seven strokes or something, and and she she uh, double bogeyed hole one, and Sarah Hokum, who was in second birdied it so a three-point swing and Kristen was still four strokes ahead of her (laughs) obviously that grew to be even more Kristen just went on a tear after that and birdied a lot of holes on that course and it was just awesome to watch and I have loved watching FPO this year more than any other year I don't know what it is I don't know if I'm 
finally getting plugged in more with the Disc Golf Pro Tour on the Disc Golf Network, if I'm just paying more attention. Um, but for some reason, I'm finding myself enjoying FPO way, way more. Now, that being said, I am a little like, okay, here we go again, <laughs> because it does feel like the lead card is always the same at least 50% of the lead card. I feel like I haven't fact-checked this, but I would say at least 75% of all lead cards this year on the final round, you can count on Krista Tatar and Owen Scoggins being on that uh, final card or being on the lead card on the final day. Um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing. They're both having fantastic seasons, but I am noticing this trend. And while I love it because it's a lot of fun to watch and we're seeing some amazing golf coming out of the FPO division, I know that if we were having some of the greats like Kat, uh, Katrina Allen, Paige Pierce, um, more consistently finishing near the top, along with other women like Holland Hanley and Ella Hansen, who are uh, just performing really well this year, Missy Gannon, that mix-up of seven or eight women constantly filling out the lead card would be awesome. But right now, it just kind of seems to consistently be two or three. I know uh, Ella Hansen has uh, been on the lead card a good number of times, and same with Holland, but they've not been always consistent every, every tournament. But that being said, Kristen is just on a completely another uh, a complete other level right now. It almost seems too easy for her. Uh, I know a couple years ago, uh, Paige Pierce qualified for the USDGC, not the women's uh, like this US Disc Golf Championship, but the uh, the just the regular USDGC. She qualified. Uh, not the first female player to do that. I'm wondering. If this year maybe Kristen would be able to that, I'd have I'll have to look into that and just kind of see how someone has to qualify for that kind of thing, like especially playing in FPO. I gotta see if it's points or something like that. I don't know details. If you do know the details though, go ahead and comment down below. That'll save me a lot of time researching that. I'd appreciate it. But I'm wondering if she might be able to do it because when Paige did it. Paige was on a, a similar tear that Kristen is this year, playing really, really well. So um, that would be really fun to watch. Now let's transition to MPO real quick. Uh, Gannon Burr winning from the lead card this year. That makes the fourth winner this year coming from the lead card. Or excuse me, from the chase card. So all that I just said, yeah. Coming from the chase card, the fourth time this year the winner has come from the chase card which is just incredible, which also shows you just how uh, dense the competition is in MPO. Being on the lead card used to basically say like, okay, there's four of you here. Chances are the fourth place guy is not as close to the top two or three and kind of be a two or three uh, horse race, but not anymore. Disc golf has grown so much in the last couple of years and the pros have all elevated each other to where the competition goes eight, 10 players deep sometimes. And so that is just really cool for fans um, because you never know who's going to win. I mean, some events, sure, if someone has a really big lead going into the final round, that might happen. But for the most part, you don't really know that. Now, um, Gannonburg coming from Chase Card to win, it was really interesting how it happened um, because technically 
Kyle Klein was in the driver's seat. And you can even say at the beginning of the round, you had Bradley Williams and Calvin Heimberg uh, part of the driver's seat. And all of them at different points in the round just struggled on certain holes and they weren't able to, uh, to keep the lead in the final round. So Ginnenberg able to get it from the chase card. I'm sure he was stressing since he would have technically finished before them. Uh, but just so much fun. And speaking of Gannon, uh, the disc golf tour just dropped some amazing news and it just it completely baffles my mind that we have players who have been playing for one two even close to three decades and none of them are number one in the world yes gannon's been playing for a long time i think he's been playing for at least a decade so he kind of falls into part of that camp but he's 17 he is by age, still in high school. I'm fairly certain he, he graduated early or something like that. But by age, he should still be in high school. And he is the number one disc golfer in the world at 17 years old. That is just mind-blowing. And saying it doesn't even make me believe it anymore. Because it's just so hard to process. Because I think about when I was 17, it was like, I was in track, cross country, I played basketball, but by no means was I ever close to being number one in the world at 17 years old. And so it's just incredible to be witnessing this and how he has so much poise um, and professionalism at such a young age. Uh, really, really cool. And this obviously means a lot for him and his future, it means a lot for the sport and Hopefully, he and Prodigy are able to kind of, you know, continue repairing their relationship. It sounds like things are getting better just by the fact that there's been silence. So I'm assuming that. Um, but that would obviously be great for them as well as a company to have the number one player in the world. Uh, but it's just awesome for him. Super happy for Gannon. Um, I just, I, I, I can't even, I'm still processing that. I think at the time of the, of me recording this, the news came out yesterday that he was announced to be the new number one player in the world. And I also think that's the first time in several years that Paul isn't even top three. So just a lot of crazy stuff going on in disc. I'll put all good things right now. And that is awesome. And so it's been an, a joy to watch. Now, the last, uh, since last week when I recorded, I've been, uh, I played a lot of disc golf last weekend. And one of the things that I was noticing is that while it was great playing, I noticed some struggles during my rounds. And the biggest struggles that I was noticing was on the putting green. And not just a uh, like, oh man, I, I missed that putt, need to get it next time kind of thing. But it was like, when I'm playing casual rounds, I'll take multiple putts. Um, not necessarily scoring if I miss the first one, but I'll take multiple putts, get that practice, get that repetition in. And the misses were either missing the same way or missing sporadically and not even coming close. And so I just realized I was really struggling with some accuracy for some reason that things were going so well and then just a little off. Timing was off. It didn't feel right. Now, this isn't the worst situation I've been in. Uh, about six to eight months ago, I felt like I couldn't hit uh, the broadside of a barn while putting. It was just that rough for me. But I realized I needed to go ahead and um, hit the practice basket a little more regularly, 
do some work, and that's what I did, and I started working on this specific skill that we're going to share next. Hey everybody, if you're enjoying this podcast or you're watching the video here on YouTube, go ahead and like, subscribe, leave a review. It helps me um, because I get to hear from you guys and what you're loving, but it also tells other people that this is great content. You should be listening and watching it too. So if you go ahead and do that for me, I really appreciate it. Um, Now let's go ahead and let's talk about why accuracy in putting and how you can improve your accuracy more specifically when you're putting. Okay, so obviously every disc golfer wants to be accurate, whether you're putting or driving off the tee, approaching the basket, accuracy is like, you could argue is 80% of the game, even more than that. Uh, If you're inaccurate, it's gonna be hard to do anything, even if you can throw really far. So this is kind of like both a broad disc golf skill that I wanna talk to you about, but uh, but I'm trying to, uh, you know, trim it down to where we're talking more specifically about putting. And so, like I mentioned, I've been struggling a little bit on the putting green, things just not feeling right. And so I did what any disc golfer should do, and that is hit the practice basket. Now, not physically hitting it, but actually practicing your putts on it, all right? But I this morning, I went and I did some practice putts, and it was just really, really helpful. Obviously, I'm not going to find um, like, oh, I was putting X percentage, and I've grown 10, 20, 30%, and I'm never going to struggle again. But it was just good to start to dial some things in. And the way that I like to work on accuracy when I'm putting is doing recently is doing two things. First, starting with the bear basket and then in that bear basket practice, putting on the champ cap. So that's the first thing. So warming up with the bear basket and then working on my accuracy with the champ cap. And then on top of that, The second thing that I started pairing with this is this fairly new app that I found a few months ago called DG Putt. Um, Really, really cool app. There's basically putting games on there. Uh, There's both a free version and a premium version. And I've just been using it, and this is not at all, you know, sponsored by them or anything like that, but I'm just sharing that I have found it helpful. I don't use it near as much as I should, but I have been finding it helpful uh, because it just simplifies putting practice and basically it's just helping me keep track of the putts how many I'm making from what distances there are different variations in there to where you take one putt from a bunch of different distances or all your putts from one and then there are different games there are putting leagues that you can join virtually and record your practice and record your putting session so really cool but I've been combining champ cap with DG putt, which there is a champ cap option in DG putt, which is really cool. And that has helped me improve my accuracy a lot because it's given me something specific to focus on. One of the things that I think a lot of disc golfers make the mistake about is when they're wanting to work on accuracy, they're just leaving it like right there, just accuracy. And so that's too broad because it's like, okay, do you want to be more accurate uh, with your spin or push putt or a straddle or stagger putt? Or do you want to work on your turbo putt? You know, and this is just in the putting world. We're not even talking about throwing the disc yet. So there are a lot of ways uphill, downhill, headwind, tailwind, crosswind, you know, all these different things, hyzer putts and hyzer putts. So like just leaving it as accuracy makes it really tough to digest. And so by using something like the DG putt app, you're able to kind of put in tags that say, I'm working on this specific thing. So like 
when I was practicing my putt today, I went and did uh, warm-ups with DG putt on the bare basket and I recorded those. And I ended up taking some video, so I didn't get to record uh, on DG putt while I had a champ cap on. But uh, what I would do is I would then do the same thing and put the champ cap tag on it and record those putts. And obviously those percentages are gonna be lower or they might be lower significantly because you're obviously restricting a lot of the basket. And so what I have found is that by warming up with a bare basket, I'm able to really start dialing in my putting without any sort of consequence other than missing the putt. Um, and then once I feel nice and warmed up like I did this morning, I then went and put on the, uh, the champ cap. And this is one of the reasons why I love this, uh, love this putting tool is that with the four different rings, I was able to really dial in my distances and figure out what I needed to work on. Like I had statistics from when I was using the bear basket. I was like, ooh, I started dropping off here around eight meters. So let me go and let me work on that. And so what I did with the champ cap was say, hey, let me go to between like five and eight meters, working back and forth and just working on those distances, dialing it in. And that has been so helpful. One of the things that I've noticed in my putting game is that I do a sort of spush putt where I have some spin and push uh, mechanics involved in my putt. Um, but I noticed that inside of like 12, 15 feet, I was trying to do my normal putt and I've been missing high recently. And I obviously having that little bit of a push aspect on my putt was bringing that disc up more than it needed to do, more than it needed to. I'm like, okay, well, what if I capitalized on the spin aspect of my putt? So I noticed that inside of 12 feet, maybe even 15 feet, especially if it's a little uphill, I've actually resorted to just doing a spin putt because it, it minimizes the number of joints involved in the putt for such a close distance. Now, as I get further back, I start doing my more traditional putt, but if I wasn't able to practice this accuracy drill and just kind of work with the champ cap, work with the DG putt app to kind of see where my drop off is, um, I wouldn't have really been able to figure out, hey, it's about this distance that, you know what, I'm safe to spin putt or no, I need to do this other kind of, you know, do my more traditional putting style. And so what I want you to take from all of this is that if you're struggling with accuracy and your, and your putt, go ahead and set up a practice session where you're recording your putts, whether it's on a note or with the DG putt app, there is a free version, like I said, you know, just kind of starting to get some statistics about your putting. And then you can start to see over, you know, a couple rounds in that one session or over the string of a couple sessions where your drop off is. And it's at that drop off that you really want to start dialing it in and starting to figure out what you're doing wrong, maybe why your hand is flaring out too much or why the disc is keeps dropping a little low and you need to increase uh, height in your aim point, whatever it is. But taking the time to uh, work on this accuracy in your putt is super helpful. There are a lot of tools out there, but I strongly recommend the Champ Cap and DG Putt. Uh, just the last couple of months have been really great with them. So if you want to get a Champ Cap, go ahead and use the link in the description. You'll get a discount on it and you'll support me and this channel. And I would really appreciate that. But more importantly, you're going to increase your putting accuracy. You're going to become more confident on the putting green and you're going to see a lot of growth in your disc golf game.
So unfortunately, we don't have I don't have a disk review today, but I do want to just remind you that if there is a disk that you are wanting to try out, head to otbdisks.com. You'll get free shipping when you use the code GladiatorDG. They have everything you need. There are so many disks, so many beautiful stamps on their website. They're currently doing a lot of the MVP open runs. So really, really cool stuff. Glow rims on those MVP disks. So really cool stuff with that. And the best part about OTB is that not only do you see the picture of the disc, but you see the ratings as well based on how they say, you know, how domey it is, how flexible, how tacky, how um, stiff, you know, all these kinds of things. And so you really get an idea. It's virtually in your hand. You get an idea of what you can expect when the disc arrives and it's not going to be a surprise to you. So go ahead and head to otbdiscs.com today and use discount code GladiatorDG. Alrighty, let's go ahead and let's talk about the Blue Ridge Championship. I'm just going to come out and say it right off the bat. The course is absolutely gorgeous, and this might have been one of my favorite tournaments to watch. Now, I did not get to watch it live. I did watch Post Produce on Central Coast Disc Golf. If you're not familiar with them, check them out. Their channel is just so cool. Even their, their Post Produce coverage is just so chill. I love it a lot. It's very easy to watch, have on in the background. Nothing crazy, nobody yelling or anything like that. Um, but super, super good coverage of the Blue Ridge Championship. And that course is just so beautiful. Just the surrounding area is so beautiful. And it was a really, really a joy to watch. Now... When I started watching, I was like, wow, this is such a challenging course. It is really, you know, pressing the professionals to do the best job that they can. And I started paying a little bit more attention, both to social media and to the coverage. And I saw that there was a lot of OB, saw that there was a lot of OB that you couldn't even really see. You didn't know where it was exactly when you're throwing three, four, five hundred feet down the fairway for these pros. And I just started to kind of think about this and then I heard who the course designer was, and it's I believe it was Harold Duval or someone in the Duval family. And for those of you who have followed disc golf for a while, you'll know that the that the Duvals also designed um, Winthrop Golds, which is where the USDGC has taken place for over twenty years. And the last couple of years, or last several years, I should say, there's been some talk about the course design on uh, there. So seeing, knowing that and then seeing Blue Ridge Championship and just seeing what the OB was like, you can definitely understand why some of the design was the way it was. Now, here's kind of where I go back and forth. You know, I can see both sides of the argument. One side of the argument is saying the, the OB, there was a lot of unnecessary OB. You couldn't see the OB. I get that. That is really frustrating. I can't imagine how frustrating it would be for me to play because I want to go play those courses, but I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to be like, okay, this hole is five, 600 feet long and the fairway is 50, 60 feet wide. Not really a whole lot of space. You got skips happening, roll away, unfortunate rolls, you know, all this kind of stuff. I can get from the player's perspective why it's so frustrating. But the other perspective is, there has to be some challenge on some of these courses 
that's going to bring professionals to the next level. Because we've seen some really low scores in disc golf, and we've heard a lot of uh, complaints about the low scores and just like wide open courses, and it's a race from start to finish. There's less strategy, maybe. You know, I, I've heard echoes of that, not at every event, but some events are that way. And so, you know, you have these two schools of thought where it's like, okay, do we change the basket? Do we make the holes longer? Well, it's like just because you make a disc golf hole longer doesn't necessarily make it better. It doesn't necessarily make it more challenging either. So how do we make it more challenging? And in this case, at this event, it was to make the OB tighter. It was to make it more punishing. And although I can see the player side of things, I can also see how it made for a really good event. Now, does that, does that mean I agree with all of the OB that was at the Blue Ridge Championship. No, I, I do see how some of it was really annoying and unfortunate. Like it bothers me that you have a basket on a downslope and the only option is really to be coming in and landing on that downslope instead of the OB being, you know, further away to kind of help with some rollaways or like slides. It's basically right behind the basket. And so if your disc slides even five feet, your OB, like that kind of OB is unnecessarily punishing. But there was some other OB around the course that I thought was fine. It challenged the golfer. It challenged the pros to really, um, almost like focus more on their shot, really dial in their nose angle, even more pay more attention to what they were doing because a lot of those holes were fairly open. And if there was no OB, you were gonna have guys like Calvin just absolutely crushing without any possibility of like punishment for just crushing and going super far and fast. And so like the OB kind of helped with that. Like I said, don't agree with all of it, but I do think in this case, it made for a really good weekend of golf. This was obviously a silver series, so there not every pro was there. Um, and so, you know, I think it would be a couple more years of refining this course before we could see it on uh, as a major, uh, as a major event or an elite series event, I should say. Um, but I do think it has the opportunity to get there. It's a beautiful course. I think it's a lot of fun to play because of just the natural elevation changes. You have rivers coming in and out. You have beautiful trees. Um, I think some of the OB does need to be fixed, but I'm going to say this, that there comes a point where if we're trying to make the game tougher, if for pros this is, if we're trying to really elevate the professional level we have to find ways to make it tougher. And shrinking the basket doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, making longer holes only helps on some cases in some courses. And so it then really comes to be, well, you have to make professional disc golfers be more accurate, right? We were just talking about accuracy on the putting green. We could literally talk about accuracy on your drives and your approaches and everything here. Now, they are already supremely accurate. But it's when you start pressing on people where every shot matters, where you if you're off just a little bit, it's going to ruin, you know, your the hole or maybe even the round, like that kind of pressure. And I think it's going it would have an adjustment period. But if we started seeing some more courses that were a little bit more punishing in that, 
it could make it really entertaining. Now, don't berate me in the comments, but I could also see how this perspective would be really frustrating as well for the golfers. I mean, you practice week in and week out, you've been on tour for years, and now all of a sudden, you can't even finish on the podium anymore or finish top 10 because of things outside your control. Like when a disc, when a disc hits the ground and skips and then it hits a tree, gets on edge and rolls away. Like I could see how that could be really frustrating at times um, because there's not really a whole lot you can do. You can't just tell a pro, well, you should have thrown better. Like they just threw a miraculous shot, a, a great shot. And it's like, that's an unfortunate circumstance. So I think disc golf is kind of in this middle ground of they're trying to find ways to maybe make uh, the competition better, make it more challenging, but then they're also looking for ways to um, still keep it entertaining. We don't want players getting frustrated. We don't want people to not sign up for events because they don't like the courses and maybe how it's gonna be laid out. So I just think there's a few things that need to be fixed with that. And for Blue Ridge Championship in, uh, in particular, there needs to be more um, clear division of OB in the fairways when it's a real, especially when it's a really long hole. Like that is something that I think is just not good. Like players are playing to a 550 foot hole and they know there's OB down the fairway, but from where they're throwing, they can't see a single thing that says this is OB and it's not because all it is is a painted line or it's just a string that's laying on the grass basically. Like you need to have some stakes uh, in the ground or you need to have, you know, walls that are going to help players know where the OB is so that they can dial in their shots. Because in, in that instance, a player is getting punished for throwing uh, a bad shot, quote unquote, but they couldn't even see where the OB was. And so how is it really their fault? There, how, there's no way that they can memorize every curve of the OB. So that's definitely something I think that needs to be improved at Blue Ridge Championship. But overall, I do think it was a really fun course. It's about five hours from me, which would definitely make it quite a drive, a, a fun long weekend. I would love to play there. They have three different courses there. So definitely I would love to hit up that course one time or two times and, uh, and just play it and know that I'm probably not gonna play very well but it would just be a lot of fun and it looks like it's absolutely beautiful. Now, I mentioned uh, Kristen Tatar in the very beginning. We talked a good bit about her and the only thing I wanna say here about her is that I, I don't know how she's getting all these trophies home, okay, into <laughs> Estonia because she just keeps winning. But with that, it's also, I hope she is having fun. Now, I know that winning is always fun. Winning is always, always fun. But there does come a point where I imagine you would like to not win by almost double digits all the time or be just significantly in the lead all the time. Now, she hasn't won every event this year. Obviously, uh, there was a there the wake. Uh, oh, what was it? Uh, I forget the the event off the top of my head, but she didn't even make uh, the podium. And so that, you know, that has happened this year too, but she's just been so consistent and so good. I just hope she's having fun. <laughs> I'm having fun watching her play and watching the FPO division play, uh, but I hope she is having fun as well. Um, MPO was much, much closer. 
As I already discussed, we had a really tight finish going into hole 18. We need a couple players to uh, to birdie that hole to possibly be able to push it, and it ended up not working out that way. The lead card started hole 18, like the first player to tee off started, and it started to rain. And then by the time they got to their drives in the fairway, it was a monsoon. Like you, it, the, the rain was so thick on CCDG coverage that you couldn't even see where the basket was. And they're trying to, and some of these players are, you know, I think at that point they realized, okay, none of us are going to win this because we literally can't hold the disc and we can't throw it very well. But it was like playing for second and third place. Like there's a lot of money in those top finishes and not every player has million dollar contracts where where they finish in a tournament doesn't affect their income. For most players, where they finish in the tournament still affects their income. And so it's just unfortunate that this monsoon basically came out of nowhere for them and basically sealed the deal for Gannon uh, in that hole. Obviously, if Kyle did not take, he had a, um, I think he went like seven under on the front nine. And then he took a couple, he had a couple birdies on the back nine and then took two double bogeys um, on the back nine. And that really, that really hurt him there. But overall, really, really good finish. It was enjoyable. Um, I enjoyed watching it. Let's go ahead and let's run through the, I've been doing the top 10. I'm gonna start doing probably just the top five finish uh, and just kind of see how every how everything goes from there. Alrighty, I got it pulled up finally. So in first place, we had Gannon Burr at minus 18, Bradley Williams in second at minus 16, Kyle Klein in third at minus 14, Calvin Heinberg in fourth at minus 13, and in fifth place, we had Isaac Robinson at minus 12. Um, yeah, I don't like the idea of doing top five, so I'm going to keep doing top 10. We had a two-way tie uh, for sixth place. Ricky Wysocki, minus 11, and Ben Calloway, minus 11. And then solo eighth place, we had Vino Makala at minus 10. And then we had a three-way tie for ninth place with Mason Ford, Jakob Samarad, and Chris Dickerson at minus nine. So basically, from first to ninth, we went from minus 18 to minus nine. Now, I kind of dig the fact that the winning score was in the teens. I think that shows that the course was challenging. Um, and that obviously, if you would have shot a, a double digit uh, under par at this at this course, it was a phenomenal round that you would have thrown. But I just appreciate that it wasn't, you know, minus 25 or minus 30. I think minus 18 is a really cool sweet spot. And obviously, as the players play this course more and more, we'll start seeing some lower scores. But that's kind of why my whole argument about why it may not have been the worst thing to have some tighter OB to make it more challenging is that players still scored fairly well. Um, but it was just more challenging. And I think if that they can find ways to make the OB not punish, you know, um, unless, you know, unpredictable things, that would be really good. Alrighty, and then on the FP side, FP, FPO side of things, Kristen Sitar in first place at minus 22. She shot better than everyone. Obviously, we didn't even talk about this. FPO played their own course. Uh, they played the uh, the Boulders course, and the MPO played the Gorge, if I, if I remember correctly. That's how it was. She shot minus 22, the lowest score of the weekend between MPO and FPO. Sarah Hokum in second place, minus 13, nine strokes behind her. And then we had a tie for third with Hannah Wen 
and owns Scoggins at minus 12. Fifth place, Jessica Weiss at minus 8. A tie for sixth place between Emily Beach and Ella Hansen at minus 7. Holland Hanley in eighth at minus 6. Deanne Carey in ninth at minus 5. And then 10th place, Alexis Mandahano at minus 4. So the spread here was a lot bigger. We had um, 18 strokes separating first from 10th place, um, which is just wild to think about. I think that there are a lot of factors that came into this past week. And one, uh, Kristen Tatar establishing herself on a whole nother level. We didn't have, as far as I can tell, looking here at the list of players, not all, we didn't have, I don't see uh, Katrina Allen and Paige Pierce, but maybe I'm just missing them as I'm uh, scanning through this quickly, but I don't see them on here. Um, so, you know, we're missing two world champions as well with that. It was a silver series, um, but that being said, still winning by nine strokes is a lot, no matter the division. I don't care if you're playing MA3, or, you know, winning by nine is a lot. So the fact that 18 separated first through 10th, that has actually been an outlier this season. I feel like um, the, the competition has been a lot closer, which has been awesome for the FPO division. Now, this upcoming week, we have the first major of the year. We have WR Jackson in Georgia and Augusta. It is the Champions Cup. This is such a cool event. Now, this course is a wooded course, has much more fair OB, and players love this event. The first thing that makes it a major, uh, and the first major of the year, is that you have to qualify for it, similar to Worlds and uh, USDGC, and that kind of thing, you have to qualify. So, it's a challenging course, really, really cool lines. Um, I really enjoy watching this event. I think it's a great event. The players know there's a lot on the line. Majors like these tend to have really big payouts. And obviously, the fact that you have to qualify, big payout. The competition is just amplified. The courses that are selected for something like this are very, very good courses. And players have played them for a long time. Now... Something that's interesting, and you've probably heard this already, is that there are some professionals out there who forgot to sign up or um, they didn't pay attention to what was required to qualify for the event. Um, and I just think that is hilarious in a very like mean kind of way, <laughs> to be honest, because I'm just, you know, and I think a lot of people kind of share this sentiment it's like you're a professional disc golfer. Your job is to play disc golf events. How do you lose track of which events you're supposed to be playing to qualify for some? And also, how do you forget to sign up if you have qualified? So if I remember, I, I can only remember one player off the top of my head uh, just because apparently he missed it last year too and didn't made the same mistake. But Garrett Gerthy won't be at the Champions Cup at WR Jackson. Um, so that's just kind of funny uh, with that whole thing. But that's kind of all I have to say about this event right now. It's really cool if you look up um, pretty much any post-produced coverage, they'll have some coverage of previous year's Champions Cup. I know Jomez definitely has it. WR Jackson, if you haven't seen it yet, is a really cool course. A uh, lot of fun wooded golf. That's another course that I would love to play. 
but I did make picks. I did make my picks. So let me go ahead and run through who I think, uh, how it's going to all pan out. Now, I got to say, I'm probably, this is probably the most unoriginal lineup of picks I've ever had. And that's just because I kind of just wanted to see if I just picked the people that nearly everyone else is going to pick just to see what I, I would score. So on the MPO side, I went Calvin because he's been on the tear. Gannon because he's been on the tear. Simon because he's been on the tear. <laughs> so I went Heimberg, uh, Gannon Burr, Simon Lazat in the MPO division. FPO, I know, really crazy here. Haven't picked them before. Kristen Tatar and Owen Scoggins, first two picks. I've picked them every single time. Uh, and it's always, you know, boded well for me. And then my third pick, this is the one where in FPO I've kind of struggled because there hasn't been a consistent third place finisher. But I decided this week I'll give the nod to Holland Hanley. I've picked Ella Hansen in the past. I've picked Missy Gannon in the past. I decided to pick Holland this week and just kind of see how she does, hoping for her to do well. But yeah, so my picks are Calvin, Gannon, Simon, Kristen, Owen Scoggins, and Holland Hanley. So those are my picks. Comment down below with your picks. Let me know who you are uh, selecting to win. I'm super excited for this upcoming event. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a really, really cool event. And if you haven't watched it, like I said, go ahead and check out uh, some post-produced coverage uh, on Jomez and CCDG and that kind of thing. Well, that's all I have for you today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode here on Teach Play Disc Golf. I always like to end the show with a couple things. Remember to go and teach someone how to play this week, whether that is a, a newbie or rookie to the game, they've never picked up a disc before, or just giving some encouraging words to someone online or a friend or buddy and just helping them improve and giving them the encouragement they need to keep improving. Uh, we all need it at times, so make sure you do that this week. And then make sure that you yourself go out and play. We love this game for a reason. Go out and get outside. At this point, I think pretty much everybody is able to get out and play weather-wise. Thankfully, I think weather has uh, winter has ended in most places, as far as I know. And so hopefully you can get out and go play this week. And until next time, everyone, have a great round. Thank you.